Hey there, welcome to SaaS Unbound, brought to you by SaaS Group. I'm your host, Anna Dana, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business a success. And today with me is Alexander Stoffers, founder of Next Audit, which develops software solutions for digitizing audit processes. They are steadily growing for almost four years and put in a lot of effort into customer education and communication and also ping pong tournaments. So <laughs> welcome. See, I, I read your blog. I know what you're doing. Uh, welcome to the podcast. It's great to see you here. Yes, I, I think you are well informed. So uh, I didn't know that you know about our ping pong uh, tournament. So yes, uh, thank you uh, for you. <laughs> I love to do my homework and you know surprise founders a little bit uh, with the knowledge. So yes, um, uh, I got it this time. But back to you. Let's talk about your background first, right, and how it led you to uh, building Next Audit. Yes. Okay. So um, I'm Alex. I'm I'm coming from Aachen, a western town in in Germany, the most western town in Germany. I studied here. Uh, then I moved uh, abroad to to Barcelona, and I uh, made my thesis in Stuttgart, uh, in the south of Germany. And then we have a crisis, uh, 2009, and I founded together with colleagues my first startup. It's called Model Aachen. There I met your colleague Daniel. Um, he was my successor as a CTO there. Nice. And um, so this was my first, or it was the second startup I founded because I did a half a startup I did before during my, uh, my school time. And um, then I moved forward. I wanted to do something new. And um, I founded a next audit with a colleague of mine in uh, 2019. Um, so yes, this year we are getting uh, four years old in September. And um, yeah, so I, I love to found startups. I love software de development. I'm an industrial en engineer. So I'm coming from the field of quality management and I combine that together. So that is what I, I like to do. And uh, so, yeah, I, I love to found startups in the B2B SaaS world. Okay, that's awesome. I wonder what's a half startup. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, half startup. So I, I was not officially the founder of the startup because I was not 18. And okay. therefore, two friends of mine, they had to found it. So they were the official founders of that startup. And um, I was only, uh, we made a contract by, by ourselves. That uh, friend of mine who was also not 18 uh, was also kind of co-founder. But uh, my, my best friends or my friends in that time, uh, they had to found it officially. They have had to sign the papers and uh, yeah, it was fun. And we sold uh, computer hardware. And at the end, we didn't sell so much computer hardware, but we, we used it ourselves. We need uh, or we needed uh, computers for playing Counter-Strike and so on. And uh, so it was not a huge business, but it was the first, the first experience of founding something uh, ourselves. Okay, I think that's the best business any uh, anyone in high school wants to get the, yes. themselves into. <laughs> but okay, fun. Let's talk about Next Audit, right? What is Next Audit and how did you come up with it? Yes, uh, Next Audit. Um, with Next Audit, we are uh, providing an auditing platform. It's an audit management system where you can conduct all the audits or inspections um, in, in your company. So it means it's a cloud-based platform where you can um, proceed with your inspections, where you can plan your audits, where you conduct it, where you can do all the action tracking at the end. 
And um, this is the idea to have one single source of truth of all the audit data and where people can easily um, yeah, conduct audits because um, the reality is that 90% um, uh, or more or less 90% are using Excel and Word and this is not really efficient. Um, and uh, at the very first beginning, we try to make the process more efficient um, with our customers or for our customers. And then we try to leverage the data they are producing during the audit process. So that's, as an overview, that's what we are doing. Okay. Can we at SaaS Group uh, use it for auditing, uh, I don't know, let's say marketing for of other companies, what they have been doing for the due diligence process? Yes, I think um, you can use it for a lot of different um, things. You can use it... Um, in different use cases, we have customers using it for quality management, of course, where I'm coming from. Um, you can use it for compliance, for information security, um, for supplier auditing. Um, so everywhere where you can, where you have to to check something against a standard, maybe your own standard or an official standard, an ISO standard, for example, like the 9001 9, or 27001. Uh, so. There are a lot of different uh, possibilities to use the audit cloud. All right. So it seems like uh, we at SaaS Group can, can use it too. Dirk, Pavel, and you're, if you're listening, you know, <laughs> there you go. We, for example, we use it ourselves for our uh, software inspections or for our, within our release process for testing. So it means um, we have a test plan in the audit cloud and we use it for product audits. Um, let's say it's a product audit and and therefore, we use it ourselves. And um, yeah, I think it's it's a good manner to to uh, go for the for the for for eating your own dog food. And, yeah. um, and there, within that process, we see a lot of things we can better, we can improve. And uh, yeah, so we use it ourselves as well. Okay, that's you know a very good sign. If you're using it, then it means it works and it's relevant for your business. Then there are more uh, use cases. Okay, so. Um, as I mentioned at the very beginning, uh, and I read your blog, and it's in German, so I, I read the translation of your blog. <laughs> so we can uh, check if the translation is really good. I think uh, a lot of translation uh, services like Deeple, they are really, really good part uh, with AI, and uh, we can see if, if it was a good translation. So. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, I'll send you what I read. But uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, you guys are very um, straightforward with your customer education. There are a lot of blogs. You have a YouTube channel where you also educate your customers or, or potential users about the product. So uh, where did this come from? How did you uh, come up with the idea of uh, putting it all out there and making sure that it's as self-served as possible. Um, yes, I, I think it, it was the same um, principle we used with the first startup as well. So we did a, a lot of education. Uh, we, we made a lot of workshops together with the university to, um, to bring our idea into the market, to educate people. And I think, um, yes, I, it was really a good way for getting into the market. And um, we are using the same principle in, in Next Audit as well. In the past, 10 years ago or 12 years ago, it was more on-site trainings, more workshops on-site. But uh, just now with other technologies or other mediums, um, we are going with LinkedIn, we are going uh, with videos on Vimeo or something. And um, yeah. It worked 
in the first startup. And um, I think right now it works uh, also in the second startup. Okay. Does it help you with eliminating the support tickets and uh, making sure, you know, the customers are ready to, to solve their own problems uh, by just reading your blog or watching the video? No, um, it's, it's more to get customers and not to educate existing customers There we could be better. I, I uh, have to state it. And, um, but it's, it's to make the market because a lot of people, I think, uh, four years ago, a lot of people uh, didn't see the possibilities of a digital process within auditing. And, um, they asked me sometimes, okay, why should I, I go move away from Excel? So it's working. And um, I think those educational stuff were important to, to help people to understand that it's important to go for digital process, that it can help you to have a higher efficiency, uh, have less documentation work in the audit process. And for us, it's more about marketing and sales and not so much about customer success at the moment. I think in the future, it will be, it, it will be uh, okay. something else. Yeah. All right. Makes sense. So, uh, did you already notice which uh, customer acquisition strategy works best for you? Is it your blog? Does SEO bring you some kind of advantages or benefits already? Or is it something else? I think at the end, it's the mix of a lot of different, um, yeah, different approaches. Um, I think the best way right now is uh, to go with an organization. It's called the Deutsche Gesellschaft. It's a, it's an organization for quality management in Germany. And I had a lot of webinars with them. And um, there are people that are really, they are in our ICP. So they are quality managers. They are looking for a solution in audit management. And um, those webinars in the past, before Corona, it was it, it were a lot of, of um, on-site um, meetings. But right now, it's it's um, always a webinar, a, a digital uh, format, and um, that works um, best, I guess. I think the, these contacts there, they are qualified, they are educated, and um, they are looking for for a solution. And um, yeah, there's the best um, quota of of. Uh, success and the effort we are putting in. Okay. So it's like you said, maybe people are not really looking for this kind of solutions because they are, uh, they're used to doing it all in Excel. So you have to like really get there in the community and, yeah. and show them what works. Yes. yes. Okay. So, so it changes. I think it's, it's a process. You see it. I, I always try to even with big webinars with uh, 50 uh, participants, I always try to to involve them, uh, for example, with Mentimeter or so. And um, I, I think there's a change. So more people see that it's important to get rid of Excel and, and have a digital process. Um, but it's still a huge amount of, of companies uh, using Excel and, or, or even Word or paper. So it's really... The market is uh, still huge for us. Oh yeah, paper fascinates me. Every time I see a person in like the quality management or, or somewhere, and like especially the government um, organizations using the paper, I always ask them like, "How much paper are you guys using per year?" And they're like, "A lot." Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Okay, you've got to change that." So that's uh, quite interesting, the, the question of paper, because uh, we are just moving or we will move in the next month in a new office. And um, so when we move, we have only, I think, four or six um, folders 
with paper. Everything else is digital. So, um, so yeah, we are a digital company, and uh, I, I see it in that moment that we only have really, really few things, physical thing, uh, things we have to move. So it makes it easy to to move uh, in another office uh, next month. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then you know the the question of like storing it and just like finding all these pieces, uh, I, I think it's just so uh badly managed so please please move away move, <laughs> move to next audit and do something <laughs> but uh awesome okay um you're moving to a new office that's a uh see that's something i didn't know uh and uh that brings we didn't us communicate yet so we, <laughs> i think today it was the first linkedin post we made because we would like to do it in a sustainable way um, because we don't want to buy new office uh, stuff. And um, for example, a colleague of mine, he was driving to Stuttgart um, and uh, we got a, we bought a lot of uh, old um, chairs for the office and, and other uh, things. And uh, yeah, we are trying to, to do something sustainable. So not buying something new, but something with a second life or we try to give something a second life. So uh, this was the first post today. And uh, yeah, we didn't communicate it uh, before that we would move into another bigger office. Okay. All right. So that means you guys are not remote. Where do you stand on the whole like remote first culture and why not uh, go there yourself? Mm -hmm. uh, so we we are remote, but we are not fully remote. So uh, I think we are, have a hybrid uh, working model. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's because of my age that um, I don't feel so familiar to only go for, for remote work because I think it's so important to get together. I like that. I, I like to get together with the team. I, ha I like coffee breaks. I like to eat together. Uh, to have uh, lunch together and so on. I invite today uh, my colleagues uh, for, I don't know, Asperger's, uh, Spargel essen. Uh, okay, so it's, it's, Asparagus, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's, and uh, I invite them to, to my home today and uh, I love that. And therefore, a fully remote uh, situation, um, yeah, it's not my world uh, at the moment. Maybe I have to okay. learn it, but uh, yeah, I like it uh, in another way to see regular, to have regular meetings. Um, and yeah, to meet. Yeah, I don't think it's the age. It's just uh, the fact that it's it hasn't been so long that you know we went all fully remote. Uh, I also don't really like. I enjoy being remote, but uh, I really, really am excited about like the grouping, the retreats that we're going to have together, and any kind of opportunity to to actually see the person behind the um, behind the screen. Like I. Uh, remember the first time I saw a picture of uh, one of our managers, um, you know, his full picture, not just his head on my computer. And I was like, oh my God, I would never think you're so tall. So it's just like, it's so important I, like to, to actually know people. Uh, okay, so you're a hybrid. Uh, are there any uh, any ways uh, to build a culture in a hybrid setting, uh, what are you doing to to um, to build it sustainably? And when did you start? Was it from the beginning when there were just the two of you, or it kind of grew um, when you were hiring? Yeah, 
So we always tried, uh, even before Corona, so we started one year before, or half a year before, um, we, we tried to have a lot of uh, team events. And um, in my, my first uh, startup, uh, we at the end, we made a lot of team events. I think sometimes it was too much because uh, we did it weekly and uh, everybody uh, thought they had to, to come to a team event and it was like a pressure uh, to go there. Uh, but uh, right now we try to do it regular and um, like to do it in, in a two month cycle, for example. And this helps or helped us to, to come together even during the Corona uh, time or COVID time um, and to, to uh, create a good culture to have a, a bit of communication um, or a lot of communication in the team. And I think that worked well because a lot of team members are, are friends or became friends um, and they started to work with us and at the end they became um, friends uh, on the tribe level. And um, so I think for us it worked to, to with that, yeah, that easy method uh, to, to only have team events. Uh, and um, of course we have, for example, when we are on site, uh, we have our meetings, we have coffee breaks, and we have, of, of course, our ping pong uh, tournaments uh, where we, we try to have a bit of sports and uh, uh, yeah, we, we try to compete uh, against each other. Okay. And <laughs> you get to train outside of work. So, you know, you come back to the office and you surprise them with your new skills. <laughs> I, I thought about it because, uh, yeah, it, it was a pretty, I, I started with one colleague, I started uh, in, in a really good shape and uh, but he is a much younger and uh, he was a professional, a professional badminton player. And he got so, so good. And right now it's for me hard to, to beat him. So I think I have a quota right now of maybe one to 10 when I, I beat him. And in the beginning, it was, I think, uh, eight to five that I, I, uh, I beat him. Uh, so for me, it was, uh, it was a hard time to see that I didn't have so much learning or not, a, not uh, such a learning curve. And, uh, but he, he had, so, uh, yes. Um, yeah. And I thought about the training, but. Uh, at the end, I have two children and I don't have the time to, to do so. You can train with them. <laughs> they, yeah, no, they are really small, so I, I think uh, yeah, it would not be, be a big learning for me. Right. Okay. Well, but that's a great motivation. Um, something else about motivation and, uh, again, something that uh, I've read uh, on your blog um, about AI, right? Um, and the way you talk about it and how, uh, you know, riding this whole wave of people getting really uneasy about AI taking our jobs. Um, there was a great uh, blog post that you wrote about uh, the fact that, well, it can be helpful uh, for auditors, but it's not going to, to substitute them altogether. So why do you think so? And what kind of, um, what kind of benefits AI could yeah. bring to auditors? Maybe I start at the beginning of, of next audit because sure. um, before we founded next audit, um, I pitched the idea that AI could leverage data, audit data for better development of companies and, um, everybody, uh, who, uh, to whom I pitched. I said, no, it's not a good idea. Uh, how should that work? And so on. So it I was not successful with, uh, with that pitch. And then we decided to um, go for next audit um, either way. 
and uh, to do it um, bootstrapped. So uh, we tried to first create the platform to make digital processes available for our customers and then use the data we produce on the audit cloud platform. So, and right now it's interesting because sometimes it's the other way around that I, um, I say, okay, be cool with AI. It's a lot of interesting stuff you can do with AI. But climb down and our customers are uh, coming up with ideas. Everything could be done with AI. And I say, no, 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 uh, climb down. So it's so interesting to see how the success of OpenAI and, and all the other uh, services, how, how it changed um, all the, the, uh, the behavior of people, so how they see uh, AI. So it's quite interesting for me for the last uh, four years. But uh, to, to come to your question, so um, we can use AI to, um, to make clustering. So that means um, we can cluster all the data, like uh, findings, deviations we have, um, the measures or the actions they are, that are taken, um, the efficiency uh, test um, people are uh, conducting. And we can use clustering methods to, to see if there are related information. So we have a kind of mesh um, of all the data in the audit cloud. And with that principle, we can um, create recommender systems. For example, we just um, had one release where we created a new module with a recommender system for, uh, for measures. So that means, for example, um, imagine you have a site in Turkey um, and there you had a, a huge problem with some manufacturing stuff. Uh, you you um, took a, a measure or you made some actions and you had a great efficiency. And maybe on the other uh, side of the world, so you have the same problem, but nobody knows. And um, with our technique, you can combine those data. So you see that there's the same information stored and you can help people to get a better knowledge management or to get knowledge to the right people. And that is, for example, one use case we, uh, we just um, yeah, created the module for, and uh, that helps people, not the auditor, but the audited party to, to use the knowledge of the company and to use it even in other sites around the world, because the process, it's translating the content and then it's using AI mechanisms um, to to cluster those those data. Okay, that's super exciting. Uh, I feel like you know AI uh, should be mostly used for uh, knowledge sharing and for for educating other people about what's going on and like how uh, the same problems, like you said, on different parts of the world could be solved, or at least you know maybe not in the same. Uh, exact way, but it could be a use case and at least like some kind of leverage uh, for them to fall into. Um, okay, that's uh, that's great. So you but, are. But, um, but, but maybe to just answer the second part of your question or the mention you made, um, I don't see it the way that the auditor will uh, be removed by AI, but I think a lot of different work steps they will. Um, done by AI, for example, documentation work steps, um, they will be, so the, the auditor will not do the same work in the future because right now it's a lot of documentation, it's a lot of task management and so on. And I think those kind of, of work steps, they will be reduced by the power of AI. And that leads to the question, um, how an auditor should be educated. So now it's a lot of, of doing organizational stuff. And I think in the future, it will be much more about communicating with people. It will be more 
uh, the audit itself, what, what's getting important. So uh, auditors need more um, methodology, knowledge, and so on. And that will change in a really huge way. Okay. All right. Uh, that's fascinating. I, I feel like uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And the, all the mundane tasks will be taken away from any kind of job. Right. Uh, well, not, you know, uh, any physical job, obviously, but uh, something that we do digitally, I could absolutely see it. So the same for how copywriters like checking the spelling and uh, so on. But the creativity and the communication, that's something that people will still need to uh, to work on. Yep. OK, uh, so you're already implementing this stuff, right? Yes, so we have uh, several customers using it right now in a kind of a beta uh, stage. And uh, yes, so it's it's in the software. And uh, I think what is important, we don't use services like OpenAI. So the data stays in our data room or in our data region. And um, so it's conform with the um, GDPR uh, um, requirements. And um, yes, so so it's it's something we implemented uh, based on on yeah, same technologies OpenAI, for example, is, is using. Okay. So do people that, that you talk to first about AI and audit now uh, regretting not, <laughs> not backing you up, guys? I, I don't know. I don't know because in our business, so it's B2B SaaS business, it's uh, so our sales cycles, they are really long. And um, I think it's quite interesting market, but it's not a hyper grow market. So I think for a lot of investors, um, we are not so interesting because um, I don't see it for, for myself that it's hyper growing, but it's um, still really interesting because you have a lot of slack of, of the customers. Um, we don't have churn, for example, and, and um, huge customers um, we got. And uh, so for me, it's interesting that a lot of investors uh, who are looking for 10x multiples per, per year, so um, we are not interesting. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So let's talk about the fact that you're, you're bootstrapped, right? And uh, it, it was maybe not the, um, the decision that, that you made lightly, but it's something that you went on with. So how do you feel now bootstrapping the business? Are there any hacks that help you do that? How careful are you with cash flow? And is there anything that you wouldn't do uh, without making sure that you're cash flow positive? Um, yes, so at the end, um, I started um, with the idea on not going uh, for Bootstrap's startup uh, the second uh, time. Um, but uh, then I, I saw that I don't have experience with all the investment stuff. So for me, it, um, it was quite more easy to go for a bootstrapping startup uh, for the second time. And for example, we used uh, governmental programs. Uh, we tried to leverage all the money we got by our customers with governmental uh, programs, scientific programs, and so on to, to leverage uh, that. And that was, for us, it was kind of, of gross hack or hack um, to, to uh, get more resources uh, that, that day. And then I worked a lot of uh, a lot with the students, so um, they are highly motivated. Um, we have good um, access to students in Aachen with a big university, so that was also a kind of hack. I think um, if we were placed somewhere in in the middle of nowhere, 
it would be really hard uh, to get the right people and to get people motivated and I, I would not say cheap, but people with a university background and working students, the payroll is not uh, so high. Um, then at the end, um, I think cash management is really, really important, of course. And um, I put a lot of effort in the liquidity planning. And um, I love the idea of effectuation, or what means that you try to do the best with the resources you have, so that you're not aiming for, for a 10x if you don't have the, the resources, but that you try to, to do the best uh, with everything you have, you have uh, yeah have there have in place. Yeah. Right. I, I, I admire scrappy founders, like, uh, especially coming from, uh, you know, my background in, in a tech startup where we had no marketing budget whatsoever, like zero marketing dollars. Uh, it was so much fun to try and to navigate and like get partnerships and like uh, do a podcast or, uh, you know, write uh, blog posts and see where we could go with it. So uh, what's your uh, most scrappy technique that works for you? Good question. Um, I, don't, I don't really have an idea uh, what, uh, yeah, what I could mention. So because um, we made customers by a lot of different techniques or approaches. Um, we, for example, we, I, I did a lot of research at the beginning or before I started Next Audit. And right now we got a really, really huge German company with uh, 50,000 employees as a customer. Okay. And uh, they came from that time. So they remembered, they tried out themselves. They tried to, to create a software themselves. And right now they came back. So I think, uh, so it, it's, I, I cannot tell you some, some technique uh, where I say that's the best approach. Uh, so because it's so different, um, some customers are coming with a blog post, some customers are coming because of our, um, our webinars. And I think that if I have to mention one, I think the webinars um, with that organization um, to go there, that's the most important thing we are doing right now. But yeah, I, don't, I don't really have a good idea uh, on that okay. question. All right, that makes sense. No, uh, I completely understand because especially at the early stages, it's pretty much everything you do, right? You just, yeah. I'm sorry. Sorry. Maybe I can I can give some negative examples. Um, I would not sure. um, recommend to do because at the beginning we had customer where we tried to to implement new features uh, only for one customer and um, we we were not focusing uh, enough to, on on our idea on our product idea and that was something I think at the end um, what what uh, took a lot of time. And we could be much faster when we would have um, been more focused on our idea. And um, I call it um, the first grade requirements of customers and the second grade requirements. And I think one, uh, one thing what is really important for every tech uh, founder, for every product founder, that you, that you focus on the second grade requirements. For example, first grade for me would be, I have to, uh, to have that button in red. But the second uh, great requirement is that maybe that button is so important and uh, that you have to think about how could you implement something what's fitting to, to your product strategy. And um, I knew about that um, because of my first startup. And 
even with my second startup, I think I did it much better than in the first startup, but even there, I've seen it um, right now that we could have been focused much more on the product strategy. And at the end, that this would be um, or would lead to, to a much more success and much more speed um, at the end. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, but uh, the fact that you have now this huge customer, um, is it- We have several huge, yeah. so it's not, it's not only one. Uh, we have really right. interesting customers. <laughs> so uh, like this huge customers, um, well, as, um, as far as I can assume, uh, they bring the major revenue uh, to the company. So how to stay focused, like you said, on the product and not uh, try to go after these huge customers fearing that they are going to leave you. And because they're so huge, um, the feeling that you kind of have to listen to them and have to implement the red button just because you're kind of afraid that they're going to leave you. So how to balance um that? I'm, I'm not so afraid that they leave because um, they, the sales, as I mentioned, the sales cycle is really long. And if they decide to go for, for one system, and if you don't do something really stupid, they will not leave in the first three or five years. And I think um, that is something I learned also from the first startup. There we were a lot, we were afraid that somebody is leaving and that we should um, go for the requirements they have to us. And, Right now, um, I don't have that fear anymore because um, on the one hand, we are growing um, in a good way. Um, so we have uh, several customers, huge customers, and even if one customer would churn, um, then it would not be the big problem. And I think at the end for the next 10 years and for all the other cu uh, customers, it's much more important that we stay focused on uh, with our product strategy and that sometimes you have to help your customer to stay focused and to say no. And that the no is much more important to say to say yes. Even in the in the daily business, of course, it's it's always hard to say no. And and I think I'm not the best uh, in in saying no to a customer. But this is this is really important. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, just a couple more questions. And um, the first one is the usual one. What has been so far the biggest win and the biggest failure for an ex audit? Uh, yes, I, I thought about that you would ask that question and it's so hard to see um, the biggest win. I, I think at the end, a lot of different steps and uh, maybe one one win was right now this huge customer. So it's the, it's it will be or it is right now the biggest customer we won. Um, but uh, there were a lot of different uh, small steps. I think the biggest failure or the biggest um, a problem I faced was that uh, three employees, they left the company because uh, during the, the COVID pandemic, uh, we, we were not so successful to, to get new customers and um, yeah, the payroll, it, it was, oh, I, That's okay. I, I think my colleagues are, are, know that I'm in, in the talk right now, so I'm wondering. Okay, I have to repeat it once again. I think yeah. I start from the beginning. I uh, I was expecting that question a bit, and uh, I thought about it, but I didn't. Um, I don't have a clear answer that we have one really uh, big win in the last uh, four years. I think one win was the first customer. Um, it was a really it's a so great feeling when you grab the first customer. Then the second uh, thing was when the product uh, went well and, and when we've seen that it works quite well, I think that was also a really um, positive uh, thing we, we faced. 
And right now, um, yeah, the, the new customer we just got, uh, who's the, the hugest, uh, the biggest customer we won right now. Um, but there were a lot of different wins and a lot of different failures. And I think, um, yeah, at the end, um, the biggest failure was when uh, a couple of uh, people left the company because um, during the Corona uh, period, um, it was quite hard for us to to um, yeah to grow and um, therefore that was some so the, those days were really really uh, hard for me because I thought okay how should I manage that and uh, that was really the the biggest uh, yeah, problem I, I faced in the in the whole four years but at the end it worked we got better we we've seen that it works even with a smaller amount of of people with a smaller team and we focus and I think. Um, at the end, it was really important for us um, to face that problem, to to have have uh, that problem. Yeah. Right. Okay. I think uh, I think that's uh, that's always um, a challenging time for a founder when when they have to let go of people that that shape the company, especially like uh, if, if they've been with you uh, from the very beginning. So that's that's very understandable. Okay. Well, Alexander, uh, it's been it's been great talking with you. Uh, I think you've got a, a very fascinating story, and uh, a, still a long way to grow. Uh, but if uh, somebody in the audience wants to try the product or reach out to you, how would they do it? Um, go to our website at next-audit.de. And uh, or uh, co contact me yeah, with our, my, my mail address, uh, staffers at next-audit.de. Uh, so uh, you can get in touch with us uh, or search for the audit cloud. Uh, you will find us. And uh, of course, I, I, uh, I would love to talk about uh, auditing maybe in the marketing industry or somewhere else. So uh, I'm always open for, for discussions and uh, yeah, just get in contact with me. Okay, we'll definitely get back to you about marketing audit because that's something I'm super interested in. Well, Alexander, again, thank you for an amazing story and uh, take care. Thank you for having me and uh, yeah, have a nice day. Thank you. Bye. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna at saas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS, but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS group a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saas.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.